music, including Christmas carols with audience participation. This is a benefit for WAVE and its early music research and performance. The concert takes place on Friday, December 21 at 8 p.m. St. Mark's Episcopal Church, 2300 Bancroft Way, Berkeley. This event is wheelchair accessible. $20 general, $10 students and seniors. More information at wavewomen.org or 510-233-1479. And good afternoon. You're listening to 94.1 FM KPFA here in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. It is 3 p.m. Stay tuned now for a stone's throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness From the ones Who Walk in light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadows Out of sight This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw today is Tuesday, December the 18th, 2012. Oh, last week I planned to follow up on all the fascinating conversations I had with KPFA listeners at the Holiday Crafts Fair. Uh-huh. Ah, oh, December the 8th and 9th. I thought this was the year uh, to take my book, Stone's Throw, Mind Over Media. I haven't been for years, and I thought uh, it would lift my spirits and cheer me up. Unfortunately, uh, we have no music, uh, not enough music now. Back in the day, we went to Polly Ballroom, and there was... Uh, much, much merriment, uh, much celebration. This year, all I could do was uh, run my mouth. I was trying to grasp some new thought, and I got tangled up in arguments. And <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't get untangled. And when I got home, I realized what I should have done. Of course. Uh, when I meet KPFA listeners, what I should have done was listen. Listen to them. There was one who reminded me that we have met the enemy and he is us. Uh, and then, of course, we were hit by this uh, carnage in Connecticut. And I, I remembered, yes, I remembered that word work is always inadequate uh, to address Oh, our problems. Um, I did hear many of the things that people said to me at the fair. Uh, I just need time to think them over and uh, oh, try to separate the 
I to separate the garbage from the trash, as I used to say, most of all, I appreciate all the upbeat, hopeful things you tell me. Uh, you know, the sort of things when we meet in person, not the, uh, <laughs> the usual reaction, which is, you don't look like you talk. <laughs> anyway, this week, once again, we learn that the darkness is always close at hand, and it helps me to to know that you're out there, that we have a community here, uh, that there are compassionate souls on the planet. Yes, more people are compassionate than are true, as some ironic playwright said, yes, more eat than starve. This week we witnessed the diseased acts of a psychopath. Deja vu all over again, only a little more this time. It stopped all my thoughts about uh, <laughs> about the ways we can uh, become, uh, what is it, uh, better men, wiser women, you know. The ways in which we can... Uh, Cultivate community, create the the ideal, the revolution of touch. That's it. The TV has it. Reach out and touch someone. I guess... I guess no one touched the soul of Adam Lanza. He managed to cast a pall across the nation, maybe even around the world. I suppose that is what he... Wanted, desired, he, he managed to shoot one six-year-old child 11 times, a first grader. I keep asking how it is that no one, or at least no one who reacted, uh, saw this young man's toxic persona who, who was looking, uh, there seems to have been a black hole where his soul should have been. Maybe, maybe someone did and just didn't, didn't want, didn't want to react. There is one witness. I heard one man say that he had known Adam, um, uh, in school, that he, he didn't know him though. He says he, he, of course, would have tried to reach him, to talk to him, if he had known that this was going to happen. Uh, the infected thoughts that possess this reclusive young man are beyond my imagination. Uh, I'm always saying here on the air, wringing my hands and saying that Adolescent emotional um, existence. It's all about feeling like a conquering hero one moment and a suffering martyr the next. Uh, it's also dramatic, the emotional development of the young. Uh, they're so vulnerable and so volatile. They must be watched, as my mother used to say. Keep an eye on these kids. All the cliches are right on. We know that isolation kills. We know that loneliness ferments. 
I don't think that we know why the pathology of a few goes absolutely berserk. Uh, that amount of, what is it, um, compression is hard for me to, to understand. Most of us, most human beings can survive the ordinary pains of existence. Uh, sociopaths, some of them do very well. <laughs> but those few who explode into homicidal and suicidal rage, I, I think they maybe have not suffered more rejection, loneliness than the rest of us. It's just that they have no, too little, too little soul plasma, no resistance to this. Uh, this disease, this imprinting, the the soil uh, of the soul is somehow depleted. There's no place for human emotions to take root, to for compassion to develop. Connection with other people may not be possible. The people studying uh, the human brain, the human nervous system, they've got to help. They've got to study these things, this pathology. Uh, so many of us uh, remember, those of us who spent our adolescent years talking and talking and reaching out and venting and, uh, you know, we we talked our hearts out and we argued our heads off all night long. We uh, fought over the human condition, uh, oh, and especially the human comedy. Most of all, we had friends, we had uh, adults to bounce our feelings off of. Uh, I'm afraid that children who don't do this, children without a sense of humor, for example, without perspective, uh, watch for the ones who don't laugh. Those are the ones that worry me most. <laughs> Charlotte Bronte used to say, nothing refines like affection. And then she went on to describe, uh, well, it's the 19th century, remember. Charlotte Bronte uh, described in her letters the wretched uh, life of her brother, uh, Branwell Bronte, her much-loved brother. There was that young man with all his brilliant sisters, uh, Emily, Anne, Charlotte, and there were two more, the eldest sisters. They died so young, age 11 and 12, Maria and Elizabeth Bronte. Oh, Charlotte Bronte wrote that young women were better off because... They were controlled, oppressed. Uh, the rules were stricter for women. Uh, young men, she thought, well, they were given license. They were given freedom to run off the rails, so to speak. Her brother, Branwell's substance abuse, uh, he, uh, he was on the opium there towards the end. Opium and alcohol were his downfall. Oh, and uh, he also suffered terminal romanticism. He thought he was in love with the woman he worked for. Uh, it's all in the storybooks about the Brontes. But this uh, young man, 
he was the one, the whole family was hoping that he would be the, uh, the talent, the, uh, the genius. Anyway, he couldn't handle it, and uh, I think that's what is it, the revolution of expectations. Yes, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't carry it off. Anyway, that's not the sort of disorder that we saw this week in someone like Adam Lansky. His rage was different. It turned, what is it, outward, homicidal, as well as suicidal, the whole package. I waited um, for word from his father. There is an older brother also who may have something to say. I'm afraid we are going to be gifted with uh, all the details of this sordid and sad story for months to come. <laughs> Jingle bells! Merry Christmas, boys and girls. Uh, aha! Uh, we will be told all the reasons why. All the reasons why. I don't think uh, we need to worry too much about that. I think it's pretty clear what the reasons are. We have people who are not able to uh, is it, to become human, to relate to other human beings. Uh, our culture doesn't help much. <laughs> yes, we live in a culture of violence. It spawns sociopaths. Their particular M.O. is just an imitation of all the larger violence. They all wear the same costumes. Uh, <laughs> yes, some of the children apparently were excited by the, uh, oh, what are they, the uh, SWAT teams, whatever. Uh, think of Waco. Think of the uh, the scene we saw there before those children died. Last Halloween, the favorite costume was terrorist. This time, the killer uh, targeted six-year-olds, interesting. First graders and women teachers and his own mother while he was at it. The source of life itself, he wished to destroy his origin, his own uh, origin, his coming into life. Symbolically, I guess, he's killing the child the way our society kills its children, kills the children in other cultures, destroys innocence. The images of a snake eating its own tail. The anthropologists tell us that early mankind uh, lived in groups of about 100 souls. By the time you get, oh, 150 people, the group will split because that way we will always know one another. Uh, each member of the group or the tribe, the village, will know the names and the ways of the others. Uh, you know, your mama will check you out and watch you for isolate behavior. The mamas and the papas, that way no single individual can rot eternally. The tribe will know that this one is not, is not forthcoming. Uh, in some cases, if such a person, uh, these days he's often male, although I 
I think we down to 85% male, 15% female. Right. At least the killers, they say. That's the split. Anyway, in a case like that, the group, the community can ostracize the individual, whatever. Things uh, can't reach this level of horror. Today's social scene is entirely different. You know, yo mama is maybe not on the case. Uh, even, think about it, even the homeless world needs to create families. That's what we do. We have uh, communities in our cities. I've been reading about it. Everyone sets forth a, oh, a group, a family, a clan. The so-called nuclear family, the one we invented in the 20th century, is not doing well at all. Very toxic. The religiosity we're seeing is much more likely to punish our children. Uh, I watched a little bit of the sitcom Roseanne last night, and I remembered when it first appeared, uh, easygoing parents, you know, the ones who treat their children like human beings and who the parents themselves are pretty adolescent. Anyway, I thought that was a good model, but most people have found that show to be uh, pretty disgusting. You know, they think of it as, uh, what's the word, uh, beneath them. Uh, it's a class thing. Nobody wants to be uh, working class. Everybody wants to be middle class. Don't you know? Don't you know? Uh Oh, dear, I took down all my books last night, all my children's books, and I went through them, and I tried to think of all the things that might be appropriate at this time of year when we're faced with this horrendous crime, this carnage in Connecticut. At the school, the Sandy Hook Elementary School, and the 20 dead children, and the, well, actually eight uh, dead adults. Uh, and I thought uh, the cliches have all been covered. It was last Friday, it's now Tuesday, and already I'm hearing the pundits say the sort of charming things, right? Uh, well, most of them are saying the sort of, uh, well, the, the sort of... Uh, Reflection, more kids die in car crashes than died there at the school. We get down to the, my atrocity is more atrocious than your atrocity. The left-wing pundits will point out that it is we here in this imperialist country who cause uh, little children to suffer around the world, uh, that our acts... Uh, cause them to suffer and die so that we can have cheap products, the best of the world's resources. Uh, we are willing, yes, remember Madeleine Albright saying it was worth the death of the children, yes. It's a framework, historical framework. Uh, I tried to think over and over again of how things were in the first grade, how they were for me, how they were for my children, and how they may be for children in the future. We heard a lot of charming stories. Oh, there was one about the little boy 
in the Sandy Hook School, he said that he would lead the way when his teacher was trying to lead the children out of the school. He said he would lead the way because he knew karate. Uh, the charm of this wore off when I thought about it because, of course, uh, he knew that he was dealing with a, uh, is it, a war, a war in the first grade <laughs> that, uh, the world is at war, that homeland security is the story of his time. You know, no, no duck and cover. Uh, the children knew immediately what lockdown means. Six-year-olds. In my day, we had bomb shelters. Perhaps we sh- sh- I, I mustn't, I mustn't get snide about this. I find it is the word uh, enlightening on a grand scale I think of my uh, oldest son in the first grade Martin Luther King was killed 1968 he was in a school in Oakland I was teaching in a school in Oakland as well my school closed by 11 he was sent home there was what were called riots then He still doesn't like to talk about what happened to him that day. He was in a school in which the majority of the children were uh, children of color. There was some grim behavior. My students went berserk. uh, Well, they were driven berserk by the local police, let me put it that way. Uh, I came to school armed with copies of the letter from Birmingham jail, but that was my stupidity. It wasn't time to teach history, not that morning. Um, the, what is it, the first grade for me is pretty hazy, 1939. Wow. 1939, my mother got me in to the first grade age of five, yes. Ah, Hitler had gone into Poland in September of that year. It was in Tucson. All I can remember, I remember little paper plates. We cut out uh, words. We had strips of words and we cut them out. And then we rearranged them on paper plates to make little sentences. Yes, I remember. I could walk to school. It was only three blocks. Tucson, Arizona. What did I know about Hitler? What did anybody know about Hitler? Uh, Total removal, denial. Uh, I did know that it wasn't a good idea to be Jewish. But uh, I didn't know why. Every one of us uh, in our maturity, old age, in my old age, will see an arc, the historical arc of their lifetime. Except, of course, for those who died as a result of history. Uh, Those children, I looked up last night the stories of A.A. Milne. I had thought of reading little stories about Christopher Robin and Tiny Tim and all that stuff. And then I realized that, of course, I would become maudlin and start to blubber. Can't have that. My goodness. Uh, The president cried. People are already beginning to 
make remarks about that uh, sentimentality. My goodness, in a death culture, that's the the ultimate sin. I found one poem by A. A. Milne that uh, it's a poem I taught my children for years. It's a poem for your sixth birthday. Of course, these children, the children who died and whose funerals we will be watching for the next week or two, uh, 12 of them little girls, 8 little boys, uh, Christopher Robbins, Tiny Tims, all of them. Uh, they seem to have been, what was it, uh, what was it one father said that his little girl was, uh, I forget the phrase he used, uh, something, something like, uh, ball of fire kind of thing, uh, A. A. Milne's collection of poems is Now We Are Six and the poem about the sixth birthday, the first grader's birthday, uh, goes like this. When I was one, I'd just begun. When I was two, I was nearly new. When I was three, I was hardly me. When I was Four, I was not much more. When I was five, I was hardly alive. But now I'm six, and I'm clever as clever. So I guess I'll be six forever and ever. I never thought that I would find A.A. Milne's poems to be ironic in the extreme. I used them for years, actually. I remember when President Kennedy died, uh, I used a little poem. My son was the same age as President Kennedy's little boy. And I had to explain to my eldest child in 1963 that the president had taken a jet down to Texas and that uh, he had died in Dallas, Texas. Uh, there's a poem by A. A. Milne in which a little boy tries to take care of his mother. <laughs> yes, and I parodied the lines in that, yes. In the poem, the little boy says, You must never go down to the end of the town without consulting me. Mother, mother, said he, yes. My poem went, You must never take jetses down to Texas without consulting me. I remember when John John, the little boy, died um, as an adult in the airplane. I remember thinking at least his mother died before him. That's the thing that any parent, uh, any parent wants, to die uh, before your children, to have your children Go on before you is, I guess, the worst thing that can happen to anyone. Uh, the poetic justice, if that's what it is, of the death of innocence, the death of our innocent children in this age is a little hard to handle at this point. I try to find poems about 
You know, circles, circles. Uh, the world is round. What goes around comes around. Uh, in any case, I hope next week on Christmas when I'm on the air, I can be a little more uh, upbeat. Yes, that's the rule these days. We must be upbeat. Uh, this has been Jennifer Stone. I will be on the air on Christmas Day, next Tuesday, the 5th of December. Until then, I hope you go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. the funny ladies playing Brava's New Year's Eve comedy fiesta on Monday, December 31st at 9 p.m. We'll be laughing and raising funds to benefit Brava for Women in the Arts, presenting work in 2013 especially by women, people of color, and lesbian artists. You can reserve seats now at brava.org. Tickets are $30 and $50. You won't want to miss fabulous comedians Andre the Wonder Woman, Lydia Popovich, Eloisa Bravo, gender illusionist Pippi Lovestocking, and me, Marga Gomez, winner of the San Francisco Big Guardian's 2012 Best Buy Area Comedian Award plus an after show countdown party, free midnight champagne with DJ Mark Mark, walking distance from 24th Street Bart in San Francisco. That's Brava's New Year's Eve Comedy Fiesta. You can reserve your seats now. Information at 415 641 7657 or Brava.org. Snappy New Year! Uh-huh.